going to continue the series on God is still in control. God is still in control. He was in control in part one. He's in control in part two. And today he's going to show he's in control in part three. And he's in control of our lives from beginning to end, from the moment we get saved all the way through until we reach that heavenly shore. And sometimes our circumstances may seem like it's out of control. God is in control. And he's using everything that happens in our life for a reason, for a purpose. Shall we just bow our heads and once again ask the Lord to bless this time in the word? Heavenly Father, we just pray today that you will help us to listen to the word of God, to take it to heart, to obey it, Lord, to be encouraged, to be challenged. And we pray that you will speak by the Holy Spirit to each one of us individually and personally so that when we go home, Lord, we'll be greatly blessed and greatly encouraged. Lord, we give you all the glory and I pray that you will hide me behind the cross that it will not be my words, Lord, but your words. And we pray that you'll have a special work in each one's heart today. So, Lord, we just pray that you'll guide us and direct us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, it's kind of sad that we have to leave the subject. You know, I, we've been studying this subject now. This is the third week on Esther and Mordecai and all the story. But, you know, we're going to continue it in heaven when we get to meet Esther and Mordecai and all those in the story. And it's amazing how many Christians we're going to see in heaven. How many people will be there? People from the Bible, people that we've known in life, they're going to be there. So until then, we're going to have to finish it off, but it is a blessing. And so we want to just kind of give a little synopsis of where we are so far. The Jews had been taken into captivity in Babylon for 70 years because of their sin and rebellion against God. He had warned them through the prophets. They didn't listen. God sent them into the captivity and that included Mordecai and Esther. And Mordecai and Esther were cousins. Her name was originally Hadassah and it was changed to Esther. And Esther's parents died. We don't know exactly when they died, whether it was before the captivity or during the captivity, but they died. And at that point in time, Mordecai took Esther into his home as like his own daughter and raised her up for the Lord. And so they had that special love, that special bond that we have seen throughout this story. And we saw in this story so far how Esther has become queen and how God has exalted her to that high position. And Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate and he was loyal. He was a man. We saw his lineage. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. We saw his his family, where he came from. And then we saw what he did. And we saw his love for Esther and for the people of God. And we saw his his loyalty. And even to, not only to God, but to the king. And when the king had a death threat against him, two men in his, his service had plotted to kill. Mordecai told Esther, who told the king, they investigated it. Those two were captured. They were executed. And Mordecai's name was written in the books. And then we saw how last week, how the king had insomnia. And he read the books and he found out that Mordecai had done this wonderful thing and nothing had ever been done for him. And we saw how Haman... It was there and how he had to lead Mordecai through the city and said, this is what the king does. This is how he treats those he wants to delight to honor. And how Haman was so filled with rage and anger and he was so upset and he wanted to kill the Jews. Even he wanted to kill Mordecai and he had built this gallows in his backyard, no less. And he wanted to kill him on it. He was going to tell the king to do it. And as he went in, 
that the Lord turned it completely around and it ended up where he was killed on his own gallows. And we're going to see the continuation of the story today because even though Haman is dead and even though Mordecai and Esther are saved at this point, the law is still on the books. That all the Jews on the 13th day of the 12th month were going to be killed by their enemies. It was still on the books. And we mentioned how once the king had made a law and he put his signet ring on it, it could not be revoked, it could not be altered or changed in any way. So it was still there. So we're, we're not quite, quite to the finish line yet. To the conclusion, we're going to see it today. And I'm just going to read that little synopsis that we've had in the first two weeks so it kind of gives the whole synopsis of the book of Esther. It says, God's hand of providence and protection on behalf of His people is evident throughout the book of Esther. Though His name does not appear once, Haman's plot brings grave danger to the Jews and is countered by the courage of beautiful Esther and the counsel of her wise cousin Mordecai, resulting in a great deliverance. The Feast of Purim becomes an annual reminder of God's faithfulness on behalf of his people. So that's where we're going to take it from today. And we're going to talk about Mordecai's legacy. Mordecai's legacy, the legacy he left behind for all the people of God, all the Jews in those days, and how it can be a legacy even to us today to follow his example on how to live in the world, but not to be of the world. So let's look at how God blessed him. Yes, God changed the heart of the king. He turned the heart of the king. He changed the situation. He turned the tables on Haman. And so Haman, who planned to kill Mordecai on the gallows that he had built 75 feet into the air, now he's killed on it. And yet we see how the Lord is able to do great things. Is God in control? He's been in the control from the beginning. He's still in control. We're going to see how the story is going to turn out. As a result of this great turnaround, and I love this, how God does a miracle. And when He does a miracle, He does it in every detail. He dots every I. He crosses every T. He takes care of everything. He doesn't just do a miracle and it's, it's good. It may even be great. But He does it to the best in our lives because He has a specific plan for your life and a specific plan for my life and He has only our good in mind. So, the great blessing as we look at chapter 8 is the king gives the house of Haman to Queen Esther. He says, Esther, here's the house of Haman. Here's the keys. You take it. It's now yours. You're responsible for that house. And it's amazing. And I can imagine, using my sanctified imagination, you can just think about this. It was probably the greatest house in the whole city. Because he was a very proud man. He was a very successful man. He probably had a lot of wealth. And so if you put it into today's language, this is how it must have been. Five bedrooms. Three baths. Four car garage. Pool. Spa. Tennis court. Putting green. Game room. And all the rest. I mean, it had all the amenities. And here it was, the story is turned where Haman lost his life, he lost his house, everything, because of his wickedness and his evil plot against the Jews. And now the house belongs to Esther. And it's amazing how God blesses 
Esther and he blesses Mordecai in this situation. And I can just imagine when Esther shares with the king about how she's related to Mordecai. He's my cousin. And he probably, she probably told him the whole story about her parents died and he took her in and raised her like his daughter. And you can imagine the king loved Esther. She's the queen. He loved her. And because Mordecai loved Esther so much, the king loved Mordecai and he exalted Mordecai. And Esther then gave Mordecai the control of the house. He made, she made him the conservator, as it were, of that house. So now it's Mordecai's. The one that was supposed to be killed on the gallows is now in control of the house. When God turns things around and he does miracles, he does it all the way. Like I said, it's just absolutely amazing. And so the king takes off his signet ring and gives it to Mordecai. What does that mean? He's giving him all the authority of the kingdom. He says, here's my ring. If there's a law signed in and you stamp it with the signet ring, it's going to be, it's going to be unalterable. It's going to go into effect. And so that is what the king gave to Mordecai. And it was, a, it was a ring of authority. It reminds us, too, of the story of the prodigal son in the 15th chapter of Luke and how when the father was waiting for his son and he saw him coming, he said when he got there, he says, get the best robe and put the best ring on his finger. Put the ring on his finger. The ring in that case was showing sonship. It was showing that he belonged to the father. And the father is saying to that wayward prodigal son, I love you. You're back home. You're mine. And when God saves us, He puts a ring on our finger. He makes us sons of God, children of God, part of His family. We who were sinners, we were in the rags of our sins and in our condition. He saved us, loved us, and has given so many great things to us. And when we belong to Jesus Christ, we are sons of God. And we have all the blessings of heaven. The Scripture says that all things belong to us because we belong to Christ. And it is a great thing indeed. And so here they are in the situation. So as relieved and happy as they are that it's turned out good so far, Esther cannot rest. Mordecai cannot rest because the sentence of death is still hanging over all the Jews. In all 127 provinces, that law's on the books that they're going to be killed at that time. So what are they going to do? So... Esther pleads for her people. And so the king says to her, go ahead, take this ring, make a new law and stamp it with the ring and send it out. And that's exactly what they did. You know, she begged the king. It says in this chapter that she begged the king with tears to plead for her people so that they can come through. And you know, The Bible teaches us very clearly as believers the kind of oneness that we have, the kind of love that we have for each other. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26, it says, if one member suffers, all suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. So because Esther couldn't rest, she had to make her pleading to the king and he answered it and she had her request. You know, it's one thing when somebody asks you for something, you say, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. And that's good. We need to do it. It's crucial in our lives to pray for each other. We have our dear brother uh, Gilbert and his wife, Jean, they put together a great prayer list for us. We have it on Monday nights and we need to pray for each other. But it's not just enough to pray. 
We need to help each other. We need to support each other. We need to give to each other like the Christians did in the New Testament. And in 1 John 3, 16 to 18, we have these wonderful words and how our love should be expressed. It says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? He says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so that's where it was at. They love the people of God so much. And you can just feel the, the agony and sorrow in her heart when she says these words in Esther chapter 8, verse 6 to the king. She says, for how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? She loved her people so much. Mordecai loved them so much and didn't want anything to happen to them. That's the same way that Paul the Apostle felt about the Jews as well, his, his fellow countrymen. He had been saved himself, but he wasn't happy enough with that. He wanted everybody to be saved. He wanted all his Jewish brothers and sisters from his past to be saved too. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. May we have this kind of heart ourselves to pray for our loved ones, to plead with God to save them, our friends, our family members. Like Esther did, she pled with the king. And we should plead with God to save our, our friends and our relatives. Have that, that earnest prayer to save them. And so they write the new law. And it's really amazing. When Haman first did the first law, he did that same thing. He sealed it with the king's signet ring. They put it out with couriers by horseback and they went to all 127 provinces with the news that the Jews would be killed on the 13th day of the 12th month, which was Adar. And now the new law went out. And guess what? All the enemies of the Jews are going to be killed on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is Adar. So you see what they did? They made a law that's going to come right at that same time. They're going to come like this. And God is going to give his people the victory. And that's exactly what happened in this story. So the, the law goes into effect and it goes out. We can see very clearly this in the 8th chapter in verses 15 to 18. Let's read Esther chapter 8 verses 15 through 18. It says this, For Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and gar garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every providence and every city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because the fear of the Jews fell upon them. So it's amazing. He's clothed in royal blue 
and white. I don't know, but it could be that that's where the expression came from. We'd have to look it up and research it. You can Google anything you want nowadays and find out about it. But royalty, royal blue. And purple's also a royal color too. And so he was clothed in blue and white and purple. And he was given a high position, second in the kingdom. And he was blessed. Mordecai has come full circle around from being killed on a gallows to now exalted to the high place. Does that not remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ? In many ways, Mordecai is a type of Christ. And it is amazing how it works. And, and Spurgeon mentions in the last chapter how we're going to talk about in a couple minutes and how he's, his death is not mentioned. It's amazing. And so how he is kind of a type of Jesus Christ. And because Christ came and died for us, we have life. We have royalty. We're part of the royal family of God. We're royal priests and citizens of heaven. And it's a, it's a blessing. And so it's amazing when the righteous are blessed and things are going well for God's people, the whole town is blessed. You see the city of Shushan when the first edict went out to condemn the Jews and kill them. It says the city was in a state of confusion and everybody was in a state of perplexity. Now, when the second law goes out that the Jews can have victory over their enemies, the people are rejoicing. They're happy. All, all the people of the city of Shushan, the citadel, they're rejoicing with the people of God. It's amazing. Some of them, it says, even became Jews because of fear of the Jews. And that's an amazing thing. But it's wonderful to see how they have this holiday. They have this celebration to remember that deliverance that they had. And we as Christians should be rejoicing. We should not hang our heads. We should not be defeated. We should not go around uh, down and discouraged. We should have joy. We should have peace. We should have hope in our lives. And when people see us, they could see something different in us, that we're joyful, that we're happy, that even in the times of the most difficult trouble, we can rejoice because it, our rejoicing is not based on circumstances. It's based on what Jesus Christ has done for us because he lives in us and we have eternal life. We go through hard times. We do shed tears. We have tough time, but he's still with us so that inside our hearts, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. Things are not always going to be easy in life. It wasn't easy for God's people then. It's not easy for God's people today, but we thank God. And that should make us have that song in our heart that people can look at us and say, I want to have that, what, that, what he has. I want to have what she has. They have something different. I can't put my finger on it. I don't understand it. And they won't understand it right away. But they'll see something's different. You're different. You're not as, the same as them. And they'll want it. You'll have a chance to share. And that is really what happens we sang it this morning. It is no secret what God can do. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. What He did for the Jews then, He can do for us today. He works miracles. He does great things in our lives. Years ago, we used to sing this song at Koinonia. Mike remembers Koinonia. We'd sing around the campfire and we'd sing this song. And it seemed like we sang it every time I was there. I was there one time for the whole summer. We sang it all summer long. It's called, We Are One in the Spirit. And the words are so beautiful. It says, We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity 
will this day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love and they'll know we are Christians by our love. The early Christians had love for each other and the people noticed. They noticed that they said those Christians, they love one another. No matter what we do to them, persecute them, they stick together, they love Christ, they follow Him, they stick together as believers. And there is unity. Adam was sharing this morning about the diversity that we have. So many backgrounds, right? We probably have so many countries represented in our church, people from so many different backgrounds, but we all love the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and we come together in oneness. So there's unity in the diversity and it's so beautiful. Well, chapter 9 then shows the vindication, the validation, and the victory of the Jews. I love that. It's what it is. There's three V's. You can't help it. It's vindication, validation, and victory. And that's what God gives to His people. He does the same thing for us. He gives us vindication, He gives us validation, and He gives us victory in our lives when we trust Him. And in chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, Now in the twelfth month, that is Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. The opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. Yes, the Jews had the ability, the power, the authority to defend themselves and to defeat their enemies. And they did. And they did. And Mordecai became famous. He became increasingly great in the kingdom. And as I mentioned, he rose to that second highest position in the kingdom. King Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes, reigned over 127 provinces. And it was amazing. And Mordecai was put in second place. He had a high position. Does that not remind us of Joseph? And how God took this man who was sold by his brothers into slavery, how he went down into Egypt, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, went into jail. We know the story of the dream of the baker and the cupbearer and and how the cupbearer forgot about, about Joseph. He stayed longer in the prison. But then when the king had a dream and nobody could interpret it, they brought Joseph in. He interpreted the king's dream. He was given the second highest place after Pharaoh. And he controlled all the distribution of food for his people and for the whole world. And we see that was a great story as well. Well, isn't this similar? How God blessed Mordecai so much and gave him that. We're not always going to have that high position in life. We may not always be rich. We may not be CEOs or next to the CEOs in life. We may not have that high a position in life. But whatever God gives us, it's what he gives us. It's designed for us. And it's a blessing. And we see that that's what God did. He showed his favor to Mordecai. And so the Jews killed 500 people in the city of Shushan, the citadel. 500 people were killed on the 13th day of the 12th month. And that was just in that one city, including the 10 sons of Haman. So now Haman's dead and his 10 sons. The only one I'm curious about, and we won't know until we get to heaven, I wonder what happened to Haman's wife, right? I wonder what happened to his wife. We don't know. We may find out in the future. But God is powerful. He's more powerful than our circumstances. He's more powerful than any enemy against us. He's a great God and a wonderful God. 
It's told here in this chapter 9 that over uh, that 75,000 were killed throughout the king's 127 provinces. It's amazing. And so God took their sorrow and he turned it into joy. He took their, their defeat and turned it into a deliverance, into a victory. And it's so very encouraged. And only the Lord can do that. And as believers, we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. He took our defeat and turned it into into victory. He took our darkness, turned it into light. He took our sins and gave us his righteousness. He's done so much for us, just like he did for Mordecai and Esther and all the Jews in these 127 provinces. You know what? God can do miracles. He can do them. He did them then and he can do them now and he does them now. And he does miracles for us because he loves us. And he has a plan for us. And only God can save a soul. Only God can change a life. Only God can turn it around in such a way as to make a miracle on our behalf. And you know, miracles still happen today. They still happen today. A story was told of a believer who was once an alcoholic. And he was speaking to one of his friends or acquaintances. And the man said this to him. You don't believe Jesus changed the water into wine, do you? You don't believe all this nonsense in the Bible about miracles, do you? Well, he said, I sure do, because in our house, Jesus changed the whiskey into furniture. He changed the whiskey into furniture because the man was spending all his income on whiskey and had no money for his wife and family. And now it's turned into furniture. And when God changes a life and only he can do it, changes from the inside Changes from the outside. And God can do it. And He is doing miracles today. But of all the great miracles God does, and He does miracles and miracles and miracles, the greatest miracle is the gift of salvation. It's the, it's the salvation of a soul is the greatest miracle. Because look at it. Here's a sinner, born in sin, conceived in iniquity. That's me. That's you. We had nothing to do with God. In fact, we walked away from him. It says all we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's an amazing thing right there. And then God takes all the sins of the world, all my sins and all your sins and lays them on his son, Jesus Christ, who dies in our place. That is miraculous. And then he offers us the free gift of eternal life. All you have to do is believe Him, receive Him into your heart as your Lord and Savior, and your sins will be forgiven. The slate will be wiped clean. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. And every person that gets saved, you can say, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Whether they're drug addicts, alcoholics, or just an average Joe that didn't do anything really that bad. But when you look at your life, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We may not have committed murder or adultery like the world consider these mortal sins, but we still committed sin. We've, we've lied. We've cheated. We've done other things. And God says, I forgive you of all your sins. I give you eternal life. That's a miracle. Just saving my soul. That's a miracle. Saving your soul. That's a miracle. And God offers that same miracle, that same salvation to every person from every country, every culture, every race and creed. It's amazing what God can do. Like we sang in that song, it is no secret what God can do and he can do it too. And he did it for Esther 
And he did it for Mordecai and he did it for all the Jews and he showed that he is still on the throne and he's still in control. And that brings encouragement to my heart. Someone once said, when God wants to do something wonderful, he begins with a difficulty. Isn't that true? When God wants to do something wonderful, he begins with a difficulty. When he wants to do something spectacular, he begins with an impossibility. Isn't that beautiful? I'll just say it again. When God wants to do something wonderful, he begins with a difficulty. But when he wants to do something spectacular, he begins with an impossibility. And we've all been there before, haven't we? We've been in a situation where the circumstances are against us. It's totally impossible. And God comes through. And sometimes he's patient, right? And he comes through when? At the 11th hour. Sometimes at the 11th hour and the 59th minute. Sometimes at the 11th hour, Gina's smiling, right? 11th hour, 59th minute, 59th second, right? God shows us how much He loves us, how much He cares for us. Sometimes it's not that He wants to just do it to make us wait, but He knows that when we do wait and appreciate it, we'll see it as the miracle because as everything is closing against us, God comes through and stops it right there and turns it around like He did here with His people. Yes, God does impossibilities. And then as we conclude this wonderful book, we come to the 10th chapter. And this I would like to call an epilogue. I remember the old series, The FBI. Remember that show for those who watched it with Efren Zimbalist Jr.? It was a great show. And as a kid, I used to watch it all the time. Well, it used to start off and you'd go through the program. And then at the end was the epilogue. How it turned out at the end. How the story ended that way. And that's what we're going to see here. It's an epilogue. And we see that this 10th chapter is one of the shortest chapters in, in the book. It's the shortest chapter in the book. And one of the shortest chapters in the whole Bible, just three verses. Just three verses to summarize Mordecai's life in these three verses. And so let's read it together. Esther chapter 10. And let's read one and two also. We'll read the, the whole chapter. Sorry, Ed, I didn't mean to not give you this, but chapter 10, verse 1. And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the chronicles of the book of kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. That is a great finish. That is a great conclusion. That is a great ending to the story. God has delivered Mordecai. He has delivered Esther and he has delivered all the Jews from their enemies. And now they can rejoice and celebrate and they can remember. And he has sent out to all the provinces. He had given them this, this edict that on these two days of the year, the 13th day and the 14th day, they've had their victory and then they were going to celebrate that. And they even celebrated it two days. They gave them an extra day. Esther asked for an extra day and they carried out the king's 
order against the enemies in Shushan for another day. So they celebrated this time on the 13th day and the 14th day of that month of, of Adar. Every year they were to remember it. And still to this day, I did some reading on, a, on the internet, they still celebrate Purim. They call it Pur. Pur was the lot. And the lot originally fell against the Jews and then it came back full circle and went in their favor and they call it the Feast of Purim. And they get together and they celebrate it still to this day with joy and gladness and rejoicing. And it's interesting, they still remember Haman too. They mention him and they speak derogatory of, of Haman, of course, in this celebration that the Jews have. But you know, we have a greater deliverance than that. Because we haven't just been de delivered from the death of, of this world. We have been delivered from a spiritual death that is hanging over everyone. Because the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the victory and deliverance that we have is something greater to celebrate than even what they had. And isn't it something that every Sunday morning we remember our deliverance in these words, in remembrance, do this, in remembrance of me. Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us, delivering us from our sin and from the, from the strong arm of the devil that had us under his dominion and control. And praise be to God. And what a great thing it is. He left a legacy. Mordecai left a great legacy for all his Jewish brethren and for us today. The word legacy is defined as anything handed down from or an, from an ancestor. And Mordecai left this godly legacy which still lives on today. And I like what the Holy Spirit has to say of Mordecai in the third chapter. Because it's, it's nice when people say nice things about you, isn't it? Your boss has good words for, about you, your friends, your co-workers. It's nice when people say nice things and they give you encouragement and they say this guy's a real nice guy and so forth. But it's better, better than that to see what God has to say about us. That's going to be the key. And when we get to the, to the, ju to the judgment seat of Christ in the future, we're going to be given rewards uh, or suffering loss for what we have done or not done for the Lord and it's going to be our crowning day and we're going to have crowns to lay at the Savior's feet and it's going to be amazing. But this legacy was so fantastic because he was a man who stood up, stood out and stood firm. He stood up even to the orders that you have to bow down to him and he stood up. He stood out as a godly man, he didn't blend in with what the world was doing and he stood firm on the word of God. And that's the way we should live our life. That's the legacy he leaves us and that's the legacy we should leave to our kids and our grandkids in this world today. And it's a great legacy. But look what the Holy Spirit has to say because this is inspired by God. God breathed. Verse 3. For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, speaking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. He had it. He had a dedication to the Lord and he had a dedication to the Lord's people and to the Lord's work. And that was the kind of legacy he left behind. And I was thinking, what will people say about me? What will they say about you 
at your memorial service, at my memorial service. That's important to think about. We don't oftentimes like to think about death and we don't like to think about the day of our death or what might be done. But it's amazing. If we do things for the Lord now, we will leave behind a legacy for the Lord. And I want my legacy and I'm sure you want yours too to be a legacy of service for the Lord. We want to have a legacy of service. We want to have a legacy of selflessness, unselfishness. We want to have a legacy of humility. That's the way Mordecai was and God exalted him and lifted him up. We want to have a legacy of dedication to the Lord. Be fully dedicated. And we want to have a and a commitment. We want to have a commitment to Christ. And we want to have His love to flow through us. And if we have this kind of life, it will have an impact on other people. They will see the difference. And we will leave behind a legacy. And whether it's at home or at school or at work or at play or wherever we go, we can name the name of Christ and we can be an example right where we are. So as I said, we have to leave. We have to leave them now. Mordecai, we'll see you in heaven. Esther, we'll see you in heaven. All those that have gone before us. But let's be encouraged by some of the lessons that we've seen in this book. We saw who he was, where he came from. Because Mordecai had that godly upbringing from his very youngest years, when he got into the troubled times and difficulties and problems, he had that foundation. Just like Timothy, when Paul talked about the sacred scriptures that he had learned from his grandmother and his mother. And so that was a legacy they left to him. Well, that was the same thing with Mordecai. He had that, that commitment to the word of God that carried him through. And he had a great love for Esther. He had a great love for the people of God. He was loyal. He proved his loyalty to the king. He proved his loyalty to his God and to his, God's people. He faced trouble head on. He didn't bury his head in the sand and say, woe is me. He faced it. He faced it with prayer. He faced it with fasting. He called out to the Lord his God and the Lord answered his prayer. So, that the end of the story was greater than even the beginning because God gave him so many blessings, so much peace, so much hope. And that sprang forth. And so, may the Lord encourage us today to be encouraged and not discouraged. To rejoice in him. To trust him through the troubles of life. Yes, God is still in control. He's still in control. He's never relinquished that. He's still on the throne. And praise God, we're going to see him face to face one day. And we're going to say, Lord, this world, it was bad. There was many bad things. There are good things too, good and bad. But when we get to heaven, it's all going to be great. It's all going to be great. And we're going to be able to rejoice in that. But until then, we're going to face trouble. We're going to face times in our lives that are just going to make us shudder, thinking, how are we going to get out of this? How is God going to work in this situation? How is he going to do that? How is he going to do that? And just when we think we have it figured out, right, that God's probably going to come through the front door, he comes through the back door or through the side window. You know, God has a way to show himself special to us. He's going to say, I have this in control and I'm going to work it in your life. Just trust me. Just trust me. And then at the end, we say, Lord, I should have trusted you more. 
You had it under control. If I would have known it was going to turn out so beautifully like this, I wouldn't have worried, would I? I wouldn't have feared, would I? I wouldn't have been anxious, would I? Well, when we have God in control in our life, we shouldn't be. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, it's time to close in prayer. Shall we look to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you today for the story of Mordecai and the story of Esther. We thank you for this book, Lord, where your name is not even mentioned once. And yet we see you alive and vibrant in the book, working on behalf of your people, doing great miracles, Lord. And we want to name the name of the Lord ourselves. We belong to you, Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to live that way in this world. We know it's not going to be easy. We're going to face hard times and hardships and sorrows and difficulties. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to know you still do miracles in our lives even today. And help us to know that you have the best track record, Lord. You always come through. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And thank you. And please take us home safely, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.